the process of figuring out building that project was what would this look like as software? Mm -hmm. And if I have what this would look like as software and I can get it in front of people and see if they get excited about it, mm -hmm. then that's going to give me confidence to invest the cash into building the prototype. Hello and welcome to the Over Everything podcast. This is the podcast where we receive stories, tips, and tactics from entrepreneurs who have done it. Today, we have a great guest in the building. Would you mind giving the people a one-minute summation and tell us who you are? Hey, what's up? I'm David. I have spent the better part of the last 15 years working on different things in Toronto. And I currently run an e-commerce and retail business called Promise Supply that sells tropical plants, partially because they remind me of my aunt's yard in Barbados. You're from Barbados. I'm not, but my aunt lived in Barbados. She lived in Barbados. I'm Trini and Jamaican, which if you know anything about West Indian people means I got like a bit of a split personality and I'm always defending one to the other. Mm. But um, no, I just like I remember growing up having plants around the house. I never really thought of it. And then I started buying plants. And then, yeah, through COVID, um, I'd started a business. We weren't selling plants. And that business evolved. And yeah, now we're... We've built out a pretty good business. We have employees. We have a team. Mm -hmm. And we're selling tropical plants. David oh. King, man. Most definitely. Plant Poppy. That's what I'm going to start calling you. I was thinking that same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Word, plant Poppy yo. King, bro. It's taken, though. It's taken, though, on IG. Oh, you try, you try changing your username to Plant yeah, Poppy? Yeah. Well, we're, well, so what, we're, what we call ourselves is Toronto's, Toronto's plant dealers. Because mm. mm. I feel bro. like... I feel like, like, I don't know, we, we, you know, if you look at my, my Instagram, it says plant plug at Promise Supply. Because mm. people don't know where to find stuff sometimes. Mm. There's like obviously the things that you can't find, but I think our team really enjoys, our team enjoys finding stuff for people that they can't find elsewhere. Mm -hmm. It's like almost on like, it's hard to describe, but I think it, it fits into streetwear culture. Plants? In the sense that you know how there's a sneaker that everybody wants, nobody can find, but everybody mm -hmm. wants it at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's not streetwear culture. That's more or less like a Hype collector culture. Collector culture. culture yeah. Culture, so there's, culture, there's, there's yeah. like an interesting collector culture around it. There's like the small plant collectors, but then there's like the interior design mm -hmm. sort of world and like that language. And I think the most satisfying thing we did this summer was we got one of our suppliers to finally import a tree because we guaranteed a certain amount of demand. Uh, for this plant that you've seen all over Pinterest and IG and people have been asking us for, but we couldn't get for six to 12 months. So, yeah, it's fun. You know what, man? Like, I never saw you as a plant guy. Like, just... I didn't see myself as a plant. I didn't, know, up, I didn't know I'd be doing this. Growing up with the past, like, 10 years, as as, much, as long as I've known you, yeah, uh, meeting at Ryerson and the DMZ and everything, yeah. you've always been, like, engulfed in tech, uh, startup world, real estate, real estate consulting <laughs> and everything. Now you're like shifting more into like it looks like. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's like a lifestyle business. It no. doesn't seem as if like it's uh, you know, before it's like you're always intense and you're still intense. But I feel like you're yeah. more in a different place right now, like because you've done volume, which we got to talk about. And then we got to talk about like your previous I think, startups. I think there's uh, there's what we're doing. Yeah. And what it looks like we're doing. And those two things don't always look the same at different times. Okay, so you're still like the same guy. Like you're still into tech and everything like that. Like building tech startups. So the one thing I'll say mm -hmm. is if you're starting a company right now mm -hmm. and you don't think you need to be a technology company, you're probably wrong. 
Hmm. Elaborate on that, bro, because like if you, I if can you start a dog if, walking business and like, I don't, okay, man, I can just like make money walking these dogs. Why do I need to be a tech company? Facts. That's how I'm just. Well, okay. So, 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 there's, so, there's, so, so look, like the, what you're talking about is, so there's two, there's different types of entrepreneurship. There's what I call sort of like solopreneurship. Mm -hmm. There's small business entrepreneurship. And then there's trying to build for scale. I'm still working on that latter category. Build to scale? Yeah. The objective is not a plant shop at stacked in e-commerce. Okay. That's current state. So what is the vision? The vision is to build... The, the vision is that we're, we're operating in an industry that is very interesting, mm -hmm. where technology isn't being used um, by a lot of the largest businesses in this industry. And so far, we haven't seen really good products or services for this industry that make building a business in this industry um, as streamlined as building a t-shirt company or, um, you know, if you want to sell, you know, you want to make stuff and sell on Etsy. I think that there's like, there are almost too many opportunities. And I think when you look at, what you look for is you look for big markets. Mm -hmm. And my opinion is you're, you're always looking for things that technology hasn't had a huge impact on. So whether I shoot for the moon and land among the stars, whether my, whether we get to sort of like big North Star kind of ideas or not, whether this becomes a massive business or a big business or just a good business, I'm happy. That's actually probably the biggest change, that I'm happy running a business that right now is very much a good small business. Mm -hmm. um, but I still think the, the ambition is, you know, not to quote Goran Dragic, but I got... Higher yeah, ambitions yeah, higher than ambitions. that, um, asshole. So, so yo, 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 what yo, Goran, you didn't go to the. Can, 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 can I can I shout can, out Goran Dragic? We can chat. We can um, chat. For you know who that is, mm. the guy on the Brooklyn Nets who, who uh, thought Slovenian. He, the Slovenian guy who got traded here and said he had higher ambitions than coming to the Raptors, and then ended up you know weaseling his way out to Brooklyn, who didn't win a single uh, oh, game in the first round of the playoffs, mm. whereas the Raptors put together a squad of people who believed. So, I don't know. I think that there's like. I think you, you take from a lot of different places, but at the end of the day, I think what I've learned is that you've got to be willing to set small milestones and know that it's a marathon, not a sprint, mm -hmm. and know that, you know, what things look like today aren't what they're going to look like tomorrow. So historically, your businesses, they were not making you happy? Is that what you're saying? No, I think that historically, my objective wasn't to be happy. Therapy. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. What was the, the objective? The objective was to get rich and figure it out later. Mm. In my twenties, did you feel like the pressure of like getting rich under thirty? Because I'm looking at your peers, right? <laughs> Hashtag paid. I got a great peer group, eh? Right? They yeah. they just touched thirty under thirty. Used to work for these guys. How's that yeah. make you feel? Great, you know. But you know uh, the reason. Go I ask. Go 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 through rip through my network and go ask my friends on that on that Forbes list about me. Okay. You're not going to put this on the podcast because I sound way too arrogant, maybe. But, like, no, but I'm just saying, like, for real, though, like, I think that um, I didn't know about the Forbes list when I was 25. So you're 25 nine years ago. I wasn't thinking about the Forbes list when I was 25. I wasn't thinking about building a big business when I was, I think, when did I start with you? The first tech company I tried to start was a music technology company that didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Let me put it this way. 10 years. 
Now, I don't know if this is something that I stole or something that I invented mm-hmm. or something that I just believe from research. Mm-hmm. Ten years. It's what's going to take. So I also don't think that my perspective shifted until I was about 27 or 28. I think if you ask me three or four years from now, you know, have I accomplished what I set out to accomplish? I'll probably be very close to where I thought I was going when I was 27, 28, and I set out to get to a certain place. So, yeah, I mean, like, Riv being 30 under 30 is great. I mean, you know, shout out to Riv, shout out to Michael Murchison, shout out to Rami from Cotton, shout out to all my homies on Forbes 30 under 30 list. I am appreciative that you all will still pick up my calls and you haven't gotten too cool for me, but those are a lot of my close friends, so... I don't know. I can't think about it in a way that is like, I wish I was on that list because I don't. Yeah. Because I wouldn't be sitting here. Of course, man. And I think we're going to chat more. And I might be miserable. This is the thing. Look. This is the thing. What's up? Rich people are miserable sometimes. That's true. Forbes 30 under 30 people might be anxious basket cases who haven't really sorted themselves out. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything I've done, whether it felt good at the time, hurt, went forward, went backwards, felt good, felt bad, it worked me out to a place where I am genuinely excited about what I'm working on. What I'm working on could change, and I would still be genu- it would be something that I would genuinely be excited about contributing to. I'm confident in my abilities because of experiences that I've had, where I worked for hashtag paid. You know, I worked for them for six months. Um, in that time, they were trying to go in one direction, or suggesting another. Um, you know, I look at where they got to and, and the impact that I had on that business, and I'm super proud. I look at the same thing with this open space. Like, I came in, grew the business. You know, that's a bit of a different story in some cases. But, you know, you look at what I built there. That built the foundation for a lot of what I'm doing now. And I think that, like, you're just constantly building, and I think, holding that idea of where you want to be in your head. I think you're like this. Like, you know where you want to be. Mm-hmm. You both know you want to build this media company. You're building it. You know, every day is not a home run. Sometimes you strike out, but you keep getting back, up to back to bat. So, like, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, that's a bit of a rambling answer, but you shook me on that one. I wasn't expecting that. So that's what Owen's coming with the curveballs. <laughs> no, but the, the, real, the real answer is, like, all of those lists are great to be on. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know... A rubber stamp, it probably makes fundraising way easier. It probably provides a lot of credibility. Mm-hmm. I think if I was optimizing for that list at 20, you probably get on it. Mm-hmm. When did you start thinking about Forbes 30 under 30? Honestly. As a thing. What I, what I did, as I went on that list and I looked at people from like two years past. Yeah. And I started like going through each one of their things. And a lot of them... The website didn't have their domain set up. Yeah. Because by the time I had gotten a check from them two years after, there you go. they're out of business. Yep. You know what I'm saying? But um, I recognize what that does, you know, so I think that's important. But at the same time, I look at it with a grain of salt because I recognize that people can pay to get on it. A lot of Kinda PR yeah. companies can pitch them. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways to, to actually, you know, finesse that. Yep. It's not as, as cut and dry as I have a big business. All right, look, anybody who's young enough, you want to get a, on Forbes 30 under 30, basically make sure that you specifically target meeting people who are currently on Forbes 30 under 30 list. Mm-hmm. Um, become close with them. 
build a business that sounds really good, pro-social, ideally, um, raise enough money at a decent enough valuation that you have a story and that you can stay in business for the 18 to 24 months that you really want to get on Forbes 30 under 30 because this is your only goal. Um, get referred in from as many people as possible in the Forbes 30 under 30 network. It's easier to get into Forbes 30 under 30 than it is to get into YC. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. um, also didn't get into YC. You know, right. Owens, pro I've applied. I, I applied a long time ago for something. Yeah. Um, I applied twice. Uh, you can probably still see the bad YC video that I made that looking back it's on still it. still on YouTube? Still on YouTube. It's bad. Yeah, we'll Literally, you know, um, you want to do Forbes 30 on 30? It's not hard. It's not as hard as building a business is going to be around 10 years later. And, and to, your, to your point that a lot of people don't do that. Um, but if you are smart enough to work towards it early enough, it will put you in a position to have a lot of opportunities provided to you that you would otherwise not have provided to you. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of YC, this is where it comes from, like, you know, unlearning things. When I was... When I was in my early 20s working on my first startup. Somebody was like, yeah, if you can get into YC, you take the check. And I'm like, but they take such a big percentage. Why would you give up such a big percentage of your company? I'm just going to do it myself. Like, that was kind of my mentality. I think at the time, they gave you like 100K for 10%. Yeah. Not even. They gave you like, anyway, it was, it was, this was, they had, their deal terms now make more sense because of today's environment. But I wasn't thinking of it in terms of, if I get into YC with all these great companies, all these great leaders, who am I going to learn from? Who am I going to gain perspective from? How are they going to shape my perspective? How am I going to become better at what I want to get done? How, if my thing goes sideways, am I going to be able to get aqua hired by another company that was in my same batch? Because that happens a lot. How is YC going to be able, like the partners and the people there who now have a vested interest in what I'm working on, how are they going to be able to go out and actually sell my company into an acquisition for another company that's pre-IPO? Like, I didn't know anything about that. Like, that's all learning, right? Like, now I know that with YC, you're giving up a bit more. But I think that, you know, all of these things, Forbes 330, they come with network effects, and that's the benefit. You know, Rami from Cotton. Which Cotton? K-O-T-N. Okay. So, Cotton, shout-outs to Cotton. I'll give all the shout-outs. You can cut them if you want. But shout-out to Cotton. Yeah, Rami and Ben and Mackenzie were featured on the list, well-deserved. They're building schools in Egypt by selling cotton t-shirts from Egypt, building back a community that he comes from. Super proud of the man. Mm -hmm. um, he's Egyptian and on the Forbes 30 list, and I think it's like the biggest soccer—I don't actually watch soccer, but the, one of the biggest soccer players in the world is an Egyptian guy, right? Mo Salah. Mo Salah. So yeah, Mo Salah and Rami, like— <laughs> yeah, oh, but like I think they've the met. I'm ones. pretty sure they've met because yeah. they're you know it's like Mo Salah and Rami, so it's great. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. so I think that there is this sort of idea of you know a lot of these things. You can do the one piece, which is looking at it with a grain of salt and look at the benefits. But the truth is, I wasn't looking at it until I was 29. Mm -hmm. mm. Do you, do you feel like entrepreneurship is like so glamorized where people are starting businesses? They're more skewing themselves towards like being sensationalized by like TechCrunch or Entrepreneur, TechCrunch is Wired, all these different media platforms, like where you actually can walk in rooms like, yeah, you know, we just raised a Series A, you know, we're doing this, we're working with like, I'm just like, Andreessen Horowitz, you know, mm -hmm. it's like posturing. It's more about posturing than building a business. Like, mm, what I, are your takes on that? Even you, I like to get your, your insight on that too. For sure. So, one of the things I very strongly believe is make friends with people that want to get to where you're going to. 
because that, that will give you an education that you will never be able to get anywhere else. Let's break that question apart. Um, do I think that people should try to get into TechCrunch and Wired and try to get press? Absolutely. Do I think that it's really important? Absolutely. Do I think that you are going to succeed because you did it? No. I've had a pro I, like the, one of my approaches to entrepreneurship still is my approach to entrepreneurship is what I called projectpreneurship. So I think a lot of people when you're working on building businesses, you think of it as, you know, I'm going to build one thing, right? Like I'm going to build hustle a platform for I'm gonna hustle for, you guys have the ability to spread out a bit more, but I mean, like I'm going to build a, I'm going to, I'm going to build a t-shirt company that sells t-shirts. It's a t-shirt company. I'm going to build a software company that does chat. I'm going to build a software company that delivers food, right? Like it's very uniform. Um, so I kind of took this approach of like, I'm going to work on projects on th things that I think are cool, that'll make money. And I just need to basically be able to make sure that I have enough income coming in, um, to the company to pay myself and to live. Um, and I'm going to bang on projects until I get something to work. So that's how I got to the plant shop. Mm -hmm. Uh, you mentioned volume, right? So volume group mm -hmm. was when I left the last company that I was at, which is where we met this open space. I, I looked at what happened with this open space. So, so before this open space, um, after I left, left Hashtag Paid, I was working on a few different projects and doing some consulting. Again, you'll notice that's a trend. I kind of like mm -hmm. oscillate between working on things that I think are really interesting and uh, consulting, doing things that, you know, my skill set of, you know, growth marketing, business development, you know, e-commerce now, uh, I kind of oscillate between those two things. So, where was I, man? Oh, yeah. So, in terms of, like, this idea that you need to raise money mm -hmm. is flawed. The idea that you need to be in TechCrunch is flawed. But all of those things are important. But, like, I have a thing in TechCrunch because I was turning bars and restaurants into workspaces, got into TechCrunch. That was before I was working at this open space. Um, and I ended up realizing it just wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. Because it was a project, and I treated it like a project. So I think the other thing you, do, the other thing that people do is they don't treat things like you can walk away from them. So you feel like we we walk in, and we feel like we're married for life on this. Well, a lot of the dominant conversation around how to build a company, a lot of it comes from accelerators and venture capitalists who benefit from singular focus. But if you look at, you know what, somebody else actually kind of like regurgitated what I'm saying back to me and back back to me in a different way. They said like you're looking at platform entrepreneurship. Like if you think about Richard Branson, Virgin, you slap Virgin across a million different business lines over time. Mm -hmm. Um and you find really good people to work on them and you find really good people to scale them. Like that's not a model for entrepreneurship that you're gonna see sort of uh pushed by like VC Twitter or TechCrunch or why Combinator? Mm -hmm. You know, this idea that you should be building a foundation and a platform that's able to launch projects, products, have them win, have them lose, but most importantly, stay alive. So, I mean, Random Work was fe featured in TechCrunch. I got screenshots in TechCrunch. 
of an app that never really existed. They look great. Mm-hmm. I use the Envision. Envision has like mock templates t- for apps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Use the Envision mock template, adjusted it for an app that looks like you're able to go to different yeah. restaurants to work during the day and was in TechCrunch. See, and, and I hate What that. has that done for me? Bro, but that's the thing, man. I, I feel Why do you like hate that? No, because you're faking the funk, bro. No, you're like, not. Yes, you are. You're No, you're not. Bro, you are because you haven't even launched the thing. No, I have but... launched the thing. I have people working in restaurants. Okay. I have people paying me. Okay. I have customers. I have recurring revenue. But what I'm saying is like, even like when you got on TechCrunch, was that thing even on TechCrunch? Like, was a platform even live? So the question is, was the software live or was the platform live? Because those are two different live. things. Because when you go, the meet... platform was live. When I was on TechCrunch, okay, it linked back to a site, okay, where you could go and sign up to get a membership to go work at a bar. So why did you have to use screenshots from Envision? Because I created the screenshots. Because I had the screenshots because the process of figuring out building that project was what would this look like as software, mm-hmm. and if I have what this would look like as software and I can get it in front of people and see if they get excited about it, Mm -hmm. then that's going to give me confidence to invest the cash into building the prototype. Mm -hmm. Because the MVP is not just like the software product. The MVP for that, the MVP for that was, will people pay to walk into a bar and restaurant and work there during the day? And will it be a good enough experience that they'll come back and tell their friends? Mm -hmm. And on that, we were pretty good. So then how would you eventually scale this? Why didn't it work? Because it doesn't actually work in Toronto. Um, there's a company in New York doing it, doing it around the same time called Spacious. And I actually went to meet with them. And when I saw it operating in New York and came back to Toronto, I basically realized that I could create a really good Google map and kill my business. If I just gave everybody uh, a map of the city and the places that I knew you could go and get work done, uh, where you could go sit there for a long time with your laptop and not pay anything to be there, um, I was done. So I, I didn't see how I was going to be able to scale this thing. I didn't see where it was going to go. And at the time, while working on it, what ended up happening that was super interesting, so like, let's say we were like trying to get you to give us 100 bucks a month for your subscription, right? 150 I think it was. Um, we would end up getting into a spot where bigger companies would come to us and ask if they could book the space for an for a off-site for their business during the day. And those transactions started to look like, here's 500 bucks for the day, here's 1,000 bucks for the day, here's 1,500 bucks for the night. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the people who worked out of my space was this guy, Adam Bent, who was starting another company at the time called This Open Space, which was Airbnb for commercial spaces. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for somebody to help build the business here in Toronto. And I looked at what they were doing. Now, they had raised, not a huge round, they raised about $750,000, I think, at the time. Uh, one of the investors was one of the co-founders of, of Shopify. It wasn't uh, Toby. It wasn't like the main CEO guy. It was the guy who's no longer there named Scott. Um, I looked at the fact that they had a team, that they had some stuff working, and I looked at what they were building, and I thought about, you know, my existing relationships in Toronto, um, my ability to add value to it, and its likelihood of success was higher than my likelihood of success, so a smaller piece of that bigger pie would have been great, and it would have, and you know, came with, offsetting some of my downside through, you know, a salary offsets your downside when you're working on a, on a start, when you think about working on startups, right? Mm-hmm. So I joined this open space. And put the, and you just yeah, put, it. I deaded it, but it, but I, it was going to get dead. It was going to, it was going to be deaded regardless. Like it was going to get put out 
to pasture regardless. Mm. Like I knew basically by December of that year that I needed to clean this thing up and move on from it, that it wasn't going to scale, that it wasn't the right opportunity. And at the time, because of that, not just because of that, but because of that and because of other relationships, I had, I, I started building up some consulting revenues again. Um, I was doing some work for like somebody that I used to work for. I was doing some work for a company that my friend had just got seed funding for. Um, and I had this sort of like older real estate investor guy that saw what I did with random work that was, you know, potentially interested in setting up a co-working company with me. Mm-hmm. And that was because I did the project. Right. So I think that like what I'm trying to get at is like not everything is going to work. Um, but eventually you need to pick a path. And I think like that's where I'm at now. Didn't you do something where you can have like dinner with random people? Yeah, that was fun. Probably that back. That was called random dinner. So random dinner turned into random work. Mm-hmm. Um, the original idea with random dinner, the business model didn't work. The social experiment was cool. People were really into it. Uh, the idea was that restaurants would be really, really into this idea on nights that were otherwise slow. Mm-hmm. The idea was to reduce socialization, uh, social isolation and bring people together, um, which happened. Um, but I think that the, I think it's really hard to do something like that without building a closed network. And I had kind of set it up to be an open network. Mm -hmm. Um, so random dinner turned into random work because I worked with a lot of the restaurants that I built up relationships with the random dinner because I realized that they were actually closed half of the time. Mm -hmm. So half the time they're closed, they could be generating revenue that would offset their expenses. And that was actually more valuable to them than offsetting their off nights. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think like, you know, you got to keep working on your ideas because you build confidence that way. Mm -hmm. What's like your... Your biggest fear as an entrepreneur? Fear? Mm-hmm. As an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. I don't know. In terms of like a businessman, as you look at your your future, what are some things that I'm like, man, like if I don't if I do not achieve this, if I never if I don't ever feel like this by the time nothing I call it a wrap. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing scares you. From like a, if I don't get X, am I going to be upset about it? No. Mm. Is it more external or internal? What do you mean? Like internal, because like you, we, we talk about happiness and uh, feeling yeah. as if like you're in a good place. Yeah. Would you feel as if like if I don't ever feel like this ever again, if nothing ever makes me feel like that, you, you essentially it's like I failed as an entrepreneur or business person. Uh, so I think the way that, the way that I think about it is right now. Mm-hmm. If I have choice right now. And I wouldn't choose to do anything else. Mm -hmm. If at any point in my life I spend a lot of time doing something and I wish I was doing something else, like seriously wish I was doing something else, I think that would be the the area where I would end up being upset. Like in the future, my biggest fear is doing things that I don't want it to do. And I don't mean like the little things that I don't want to do. Like I don't want to do my, my accounting stuff or I don't want to input my bookkeeping stuff or I don't want to sweep the floor or I don't want to wake up this morning because I got to go move these plants around because that's some of the stuff that we got to do right now. I mean like, you know, spending a year doing something that you, you aren't enthusiastic about at all, like that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. 
you know, being, being sort of like trapped is the fear. Um, That's real. And I think that as long as I'm, as long as I get the choice to work, I'll probably be pretty good. And, you know, like what if I don't have, you know, 10 million bucks or a hundred million bucks, like mm-hmm. it's not going to matter. My biggest fear is death. Mm-hmm. Cause like that can happen tomorrow. Well, it's not knock on wood, but there's nothing to fear because it's not the best motivator. It burns dirty. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. What is it? It burns dirty. Mean? Well, yeah, it burns dirty. Like that's so. A, like think kind of, of like solar power versus like you know? coal. You know, <laughs> if you're if you're working because you're scared, it burns dirty. Like it has negative externalities. Mm. Like it's not good for. You, you, let's say you're the planet, and we got to pick our fuels. You know, Michael Jordan's interesting. Michael Jordan's fuel was like, you know, petty. I hate it. was petty. Yeah. Fine. Perfect. Thank you. I needed the word. You got it. It was petty. Now, created the greatest basketball player alive, but I don't know, man. Have you listened to his Hall of Fame speech? Yeah. yeah. I listened to a bit of it. it was... You know who schooled me to this? My therapist. Uh-huh. He was like, listen to Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech, mm-hmm. and you'll see why you don't want to live your life trying to prove everybody wrong. Because at the pinnacle of his highest point in his career, the thing he spoke about the most was all of the people who doubted him. And dude, like, look, would I, would I trade dirty fuel to be Michael Jordan? I don't know. And that's what I keep coming back to, which is like, I don't know that there's an alternative in where you're looking for more money and you're burning dirty fuel and you're a negative person and you're angry all the time and, 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 I don't know if that's a better reality. If you got more on paper, mm-hmm. you know, everybody has their challenges. So what, what's enough to you? Um, I'd say right now I'm close to enough, but I'm not quite there mm. enough. Like enough is like, you can take care of your kids or if yeah. you choose to have, if you choose to have a family. Yeah, like, like enough, enough is, enough is money isn't the thing that you're thinking about in your personal life all of the time. Mm. Um, I can give you like some numbers for enough. So $10 million is sort of like enough. And I don't mean that like I have to have $10 million to feel like I have enough. But like when you start getting into these conversations around. Like when you touch $10 million, What is really enough? Like if you have about 10 million bucks. Yeah. Um, so do you have 10 million? No, no. Uh, but if you have about 10 I million, sh- I should ask. Yeah, it's fine. No, I, I definitely don't. Um, <laughs> you sounded like you're like, yeah, I'm close to enough. So no, 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 but I'm, I'm close. I'm close to the place where like, uh, so cash flowing is one thing and then assets are another thing. Gotcha. Right. And I think business owners need to really learn to think about cash flow mm-hmm. assets because as a business owner, your cash, your, your personal cash flow is one part of the benefit of your business. Um, but if you're really building a business, the thing that's going to make a difference in your life is the asset that you're building. So a lot of what you're you're doing when you're building a business is you, you're, you're actually in the asset management game, if even if you don't necessarily think about it that way. So a $10 million asset means you're probably, you, you probably don't have to think about money. 
at all. Um, but you can not have to think about money and not have it be the number one thing on your mind if you're making 75K a year, you know, if a household's pulling in a couple hundred K a year, like, you're probably not thinking about money. If it's coming from other assets. No, if you're making that off, off like, if, if your salary is, like, if, you know, if you're making enough money, you're probably not thinking about it, you can get there. But, like, the real point at which money isn't necessarily, like, like, let's say you're making $150,000 a year working at a job and you lose your job. You're fucked. Right. So you well, you probably get another job, but all I'm all I'm kind of getting at is that like you're not in that spot where where you've reached some type of like freedom where money is not a problem. Mm. So the point where money is not a problem is probably about ten million bucks mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because at two percent interest, that's two hundred thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. If you have ten million bucks, you start getting into the game of um, you start you start getting access to investment opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise get access to. Um, you start getting the ability, you start having the ability, like banks will want to lend you money. You start getting leverage. Um, also, if you just hear me say like, if I said, yo, I got 10 million bucks, forget your hundred thousand followers that you were telling me about. But like, if somebody that you know says, yeah, I got 10 million bucks in the bank, you probably want to like work with them. Mm-hmm. You're probably willing to work with them for less money than you might charge somebody else because you want to get to where they're at. Maybe people even. don't want to say that though. What people don't, don't want to say that they have ten mil. They they like they'd either want to have a status symbol that suggests that they have it, like what NFTs have become, or depends on who, depends on who you're talking to. Well, it, for sure. But people are. Do you see people like opening up their phone and be like, "I got ten mil"? No. no, but I do know that, like, for example, like. I know friends who don't exist on social media Mm -hmm. who I know have 10 at least. And how do you know that? Because I know. Because we talk about business. Because you talk about business, but they're not telling you that they have 10 mil. They don't need to. So you're making an assumption they have 10. Mm, It's like, it's pretty obvious. Certain. They they, they walk you around the corner. It's certain they have 10 mil. I have friends who sold their businesses and stuff. Like they built a tech business. They sold it like, I know what the purchase price was. It was announced. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that to say like, oh, my friends are just like, like, that's not the point. The point is more like, I think when you divorce yourself from money being a status symbol, that's when you really start to enjoy the game. But money is a status symbol, bro. Let's not kid it's ourselves. It's a bad status symbol, though. How so? Like, man, we, we compare everything to money. Like, the reason why uh, people can do things, like, yeah. He's an NBA owner because he he's a billionaire. We glorify these guys. This guy's this because he has he's do, this word. I mean, you say we broadly. You do. No, society does. Society does, man. And you Dave, you know Stop this. It. You no, know no, this. I'm saying, I'm, I'm listening. I'm I'm listening because yeah. I, I hear what you're saying and I don't disagree with you, but what I am but I don't think you hear what I'm saying. So but you're equating status towards like a moral kind of thing, but the No. Ch- are you not? No, what I'm saying is that is that money, like status symbols aren't a bad thing. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, want to drive a Benz. Mm-hmm. Um, what I am saying is status symbols in a lot of cases are false positives. Can you share what a false positive is? Like, like the person in the Benz might be underwater. The person driving uh, a older Volvo might have $100 million in the bank. Mm. Yeah, we've seen it. We've seen CFOs, CEOs show up to podcast interviews and like... 
I'm talking about regulars. I'm talking about <laughs> I'm talking about one of the nicest houses I've been to is from a guy who wakes up early, goes to his warehouse. They import fruit and sell fruit. Drives a normal car to work. Every, drives a Sprinter or a van to work. It's baller. He is, but it's not. But that's not the focus. And all I'm getting at is, I think that like when you and, and and look, man, like I'm not saying that that you know I'm above it. That's not the point. Yeah. My point. I'm, I don't think I am. I think you know I want nice things. We all nice want nice things. You know, I was joking that I didn't wear a nice enough shirt when I showed up to the podcast. Like it's on our minds to look good, to be feel good, to smell good. Like I'm not saying that we don't care about status. I'm just saying that um, if if you're worried about status status symbols. And that is why you're being, and that is why you're in entrepreneur, like that's why you're building a business. You probably don't want to build a business mm-hmm. because there will be periods where like all of those signs of success don't matter. And you just got to figure out how do I make this thing work? How do I keep my employees employed? How do I take care of my suppliers? How do I take care of my customers? Mm-hmm. How do I grow this thing 10 or 20% next year? Mm-hmm. Um, we're having a bad quarter. How do I make a sacrifice on my personal end? How do I not go on that vacation? How do I buy a, a, a lesser car? How do I pay myself less than I know that I would get paid if I went to work for Google? Mm-hmm. Um, but you want to be able to afford status symbols. Go work, at, go work at a company. Go get a good yeah. sales job. Make a quarter million a year. By the time you're in your 40s, buy, the, you know, buy, buy a couple of houses or some good, some good stocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I, know, and honestly, bro, I, I want You guys to... aren't the entrepreneurship-only podcast. You're the hustle podcast. And I think that, like, people conflate hustle with entrepreneurship. Man, one of the, one of the guys... That I, you know, he's he's not a close friend, but he's really close with, with with an old friend of mine, and I would say that he fits the definition of a hustler better than most. Mm. And I don't think he's ever started his own company. He's a software engineer, and he knows how to play the game to make a lot more money than a lot of entrepreneurs will ever make by changing companies at the right times, getting equity at the right times getting increases in pay at the right times. So I think hustle, you know, coming back to the name of the podcast, hustle is not about self-employment or entrepreneurship. It's about like, I'm going to pick a game and I'm going to play it really well. And if you pick the entrepreneurship game and you're picking being an entrepreneur because you think it's, a, because you think it's going to give you access to status symbols, um, a lot of the best entrepreneurs I know you wouldn't know it to look at what they're driving or the watch on their wrists. Facts. Um, and the reason why I know or I can approximate their net worth is because we talk about their business. We talk about their sales growth. Mm-hmm. We talk about the rounds they're raising. They tell me how they're raising those rounds, who they're raising them from. You know, they teach me things about. You know, I think we start. We st- we started off on this tangent because you were talking about venture capital and press. So press is great. Will help you get venture capital. Can help you raise money. Can help you get angels. Press is awesome. It feels great. It you know, but, but the TechCrunch article got me fewer new users than the BlogTO article. Mm-hmm. So like, press is a great tool, but it fits into a strategy and it probably gets you somewhere else. Raising money, venture capital is a very specific type of capital, and mm-hmm. you know, it should come with a warning label. Um, it's somewhere around. Uh, you know, uh, it's like steroids mm-hmm. and there's lots of negative side effects, but you can become Arnold. So venture capitalists are better at marketing their money than everybody else. That's all like venture capitalists are blogging. They're talking They're you know, Twitter, they're, VC. They're, they're tw- like VC, Twitter, you know, they're, 
They're slapping hands at the conferences. That they, they have the sexiest job in capital. Mm-hmm. They manage a very small percentage of the to- total capital out there that's available to companies. Like venture capital is a small asset class when you put it on, you know, the board. In comparison to who? In comparison to all other private equity. Okay. So for everyday entrepreneurs, where else can they get their money from? Or that money from? So who's the everyday entrepreneur? Because I think that like that that is sort of the point that I'm making. Venture capital is actually not a really good tool for the average or everyday entrepreneur. Let's say I'm start I want to start a hair care company. You should not talk to venture capital. Who should you talk to? You want to start a hair care company? It's tough. So if you want to start so a hair do you want to start a software company? Like you're trying to start a, like a like an app for barbers? That's an interesting thing. A haircut company is so vague, right? Right. So this is what I'm getting at. You could be be Squire. You could be... So so this is what I'm getting at is like the accuracy with which you approach the business that you build is extremely important. Mm. Because how you finance your growth as a business owner um, and how you think about where to look for financing is the thing that I've learned the most about because I've had friends who have taken different approaches to financing their businesses as opposed to raising from venture capital. Um, But most of those entrepreneurs, I would say around the same time, we, we at, at, at the same time, which is years ago, we sort of knew about VC and it was well known that you could get into an accelerator and you could get venture capital and, that was like the way that you start building your business was to get, you know, you go raise money. So where else can people go to get? Customers. Okay. Customers. Like you want, you want to raise money, raise money from your customers. Like crowdfunding? No, have people pay you to do whatever it is that you think you deserve to raise money for. You want to become a barber? You want to open a barber shop? Cut people's hair. But bro, you can't open a business if you don't have like the funds to get started. Yeah, but you shouldn't start by trying to open a business that requires funds is what I'm trying to get at. But you need, you need like, let's say, um, I don't know what idea I want to use an example, but I can give you a bunch of ideas. Let me just take you through the list. So look, if I want to go start a business cutting hair, will people pay me to cut their hair? So I have a friend, Trevor, great guy, owns a house in Toronto, done pretty well, currently owns his own salon. He didn't go to university. He started cutting hair in, uh, like at the end of high school, he worked at a salon. He built up his book of business. He had enough money to buy a house when Toronto real estate was insane. And you know what he did? He cut people's hair in his backyard. So if you were his friend, you'd go over to his house. He had a barber chair. He cut your hair. And then he opened a salon. So what I'm getting at is that, like, yeah, you, look, do, I, do you need debt? Do you need equity? Do you need cash? Is it helpful? Absolutely. Um, but you should be able to. You should be able to prove that people can pay me mm-hmm. for whatever it is that I'm going to sell them before asking anybody else for money, unless you're building software. Mm-hmm. And then you can start talking about venture capital if you have the right sized opportunity and you are not an engineer or you need a lot of engineers to build a com- complex product before, before you can take it to market or you have a product that will get a lot of use, but the unit economics only work at scale. I'll give you a good example, Float. Have you heard of Float? Is it the credit card? Yeah, Float's a great example of a company that probably needs venture capital, probably working on the right thing, and probably will continue to raise it. So Float makes 
Mike makes money off very, very small percentage of his, of a total transaction, right? So float doesn't, you know, probably make one, maybe 1% of total volume that is spent on float. Like maybe that's what their net is. I don't actually know. And everyone float is a corporate credit card. So float is a pro is float is a productized credit card. So what they've done is they've essentially built a product where you can create credit cards in an app for your staff, track their spending, and then it has other controls around getting um, receipts back. So ironically, and this is the thing that I actually love about having a plant shop, the CTO came in one day and he was buying a plant. And I ended up talking, I talked to a lot of my customers, told me a CTO. This was like, cool, how did you figure this out? Well, we built it over a weekend or two for a hackathon and it seemed like a really good idea. We got people to start using it. And at the end of the day, they don't make a large amount of money off of a small number of customers, but they make an extremely large amount of money if they can solve a very big problem globally in the sort of like every single company has a hard time tracking expenses and making it easy for their employees to spend money. So whether that's like I'm a company and I want to give every single one of my employees 500 bucks to spend on furniture for their home, that's very hard. Um, or I'm a company and I'm an agency and I need to be able to issue cards to different employees, but there's also a lot of turnover and agencies tend to have higher turnover. So like people are there for a year, they're gone for a year mm -hmm. and I want controls over their spending. So I want to be able to turn off your card. So that's a big problem. That's going to take a lot of engineering. That's going to take a lot of money. Engineers are expensive. If you want to make a lot of money, you want to hustle, you want a hustle that's guaranteed to pay and you're 18 years old, become an engineer. Like, mm -hmm. if you don't care about building a business or you, you, and you think you can do that, do that. Like, you'll be good. Um, but they need a lot of money. And if they build a really big business, they'll build a really big business. So in order to do that, they need to raise venture capital. And what they need to do is at the end of the day, when you raise venture capital, you're selling a percentage of your business and you're going to keep selling a percentage of your business until you IPO or sell it or go bust. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on... Um, and there's no other acceptable solutions. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on, like, Adam Newman coming back in the game? Yeah, it's, uh, a smart raising, bet. it's a smart bet for Anderson. 350, 350 mil. But I want to talk about the social aspect of it, right? So mm -hmm. Adam Newman is the... Founder of WeWork. Founder of WeWork. He got ousted out of the company. He got a billion-dollar payout. And now he's I, back in the game, and he just raised, like, 350M from, like, Andreessen Horowitz. Yep. So people on LinkedIn are so cheese because they're like, yo, this is like white male privilege. Like he can yeah, like, it's all of the above, but whatever. No, no, bro. Let me, it's let the me, game. No, yo, David, let me finish my yeah. thought first, right? I'm I know saying, like um, a lot of women, minority women, white yeah. women, people who are, you know, minority entrepreneurs, they're like so vexed because this guy, he made a company go bust, but yeah, he can still no, he, Hang on a second. Hang on, hang on. Let's be very clear. About what it's not. It's not the company did not go bust, but it was let's very, very. Let's let's be very clear about what happened. Okay. Because because I've seen a lot of false comparisons. Okay. And this is one of the things that I think a lot of people need to work on if they want to be entrepreneurs is accuracy. So the accurate way to look at that is he was capable of raising money from people at valuations that made absolutely no sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he is really good at raising money. And he's really good at raising money at valuations that don't make sense. Mm -hmm. And the company blew up when they ended up getting, trying to get to the public markets for a few reasons. Um, mostly, and it, and it wasn't actually the, the valuation necessarily, but there were multiple forces acting on that business at the same time. A lot of which people don't really talk about. You know why WeWork was super successful? 
because they started in 2008. What happened in 2008 in New York City? Mm-hmm. Everyone went bust. What was really cheap in New York City in 2008? Real estate. What's the average term length of, a, of, a, um, of an office space it's in terms of years. lease? It's about 10 years. So what happens when in 2008 you, send ten, you sign 10-year leases, you prove that you can rent it out and have a crazy markup per foot on old real estate deals that all expire, and then you go to expand throughout the globe throughout one of the largest economic expansions we've seen in history from 2008 to 2018, and then all of a sudden you have these net new leases all around the world that are signed at the new market rates, and you got to be able to get the same markup on that that you got when you bought cheap rent in New York in 2008, the, the economics of the business didn't work because people didn't see that there was this thing stuffed deep inside of the company mm-hmm. that made it look really good on paper. And the unit economics were amazing on paper, but it wasn't sustainable if you knew that it was on a 10-year term. Mm-hmm. So what I'm getting at is like, you got to be very accurate with like dissecting these things if you want to be really good at what you do. So let's dissect that for a second. What can we learn from Adam Newman? Well, A, Bad periods in bad periods throughout history for specific asset classes are usually good times to get into them. Warren Buffett, that, that's old. Um, two, that a, a charismatic and sort of like zany founder, the white male founder. I give him the white male thing, but like a charismatic it's and, like and Israeli. Yeah, yeah but there's some, there's some, there's like there's some Asian dudes who can do it. I've seen some East Asian dudes do it. Oh, can um, they really do it, bro? Let's no, keep it up. Nah, bro. Like, no. Look at look at look at Paytm in India. Look at um. There's some really good charismatic people of of, of varying ethnic groups building cool shit. There's a lot of like dope stuff I mean, being built in at, Africa. Look at, look at, uh, what's his name? Um, Carlos. Carlos who? Um, from what was that? Old. Oh. Um, Oswald. Oz- Oswald. <sighs> Aussie media. Aussie media. Look, 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 look. Carlos Watson. Look, 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 look. Here's the black guy who was a Look, here's the deal. Go ahead, bro. I'm not going to look. Forget white male privilege. If you actually, if you actually know what Adam Newman comes from, you know the type of money his family had. They own buildings in New York City. So, like, forget the white male privilege. He is wealthy. He's a wealthy New York man who went to school and who had an information advantage, probably knowing two things at the same time. He knew that real estate was cheap, and he knew that because a lot of people were getting laid off, a lot of people were starting small companies, Mm -hmm. there was like smaller co-working spaces, like co-working and WeWork weren't exactly the same thing. Co-working was kind of like this boutique-y thing, like someone would rent a big space, you'd have desks, you'd have a bunch of like Mm -hmm. hustlers and grinders. WeWork like basically gentrified co-working. So he took two things, that he knew that he had a unique advantage for. Because the other thing, if you have capital or wealth, is you actually have creditworthiness. And we could talk about how that impacts the ability to get started and where I think that you're absolutely right that starting, you know, how do you get enough money or how do you get the ability to sign a lease? Mm-hmm. Right? How do you get the credit to be able to sign a lease to open your That's business? That's about to say, like, we can, we can, we can, we can go into, like, that. Yeah. And I do have ideas on that. And it's not just about money. Okay. Um, I don't think it's just about money. That's my personal opinion. And I have privilege. Like we all have privilege and figuring out what your privileges are is important. Facts. Sometimes being, you know, a black dude provides privilege in certain contexts. Sometimes being, you're African, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know why you're here. That's a privilege. If I was African, man, I'd be in Africa. I've been saying this. I've been like, man, I can have a good life back in Kenya. The information, the information advantage that you have and the types of companies you could go back there and build 
for your own, like Africa is a huge market. Like I was talking to somebody who was talking to me about micropayments in Africa. Mm-hmm. And like, there's all of these things. We all have advantages and it's knowing what they are. So his advantage was uh, family owned real estate, probably knew that vacancy was high, probably saw an opportunity to lease cheap real estate, saw this co-working thing, realized he could make it fancier, make it, you know, more tasteful, make it more expensive. And, you know, had great performance because the gap between what he was paying for real estate and what he could charge for it was great. Now, over time, that gap diminished. And that's where, like, over time, like, if you just looked at um, Regis, which is, like, the biggest company in that kind of area. Now they have spaces, which is sort of like a WeWork, but they weren't exactly like WeWork. They weren't, they weren't tasteful. They weren't cool. They weren't a place you, like, work, like, oh, I got, I got a WeWork, right? They were yeah. corporate and kind of, they were, they, were, they were still in the 90s. If you look at their valuation, you look at their valuation multiple, like, should WeWork have ever been worth what it was worth? Probably not, but it probably was worth five or $6 billion, maybe 10. Mm-hmm. Like, there's probably a value in the billions of dollars that he built in that business, not the 40 billion, Mm, but some billion. Not the 40 billion, but he built a billion dollar plus company. And there aren't many people as a percentage of the population that you can say uh, started and built a billion dollar company. And so let's put it that way. Cool. So that's that. So now you brought this up because of VC. This, so mean, let's, so let's, I, let's bring this back to I VC. the VC and the social aspect of what it represents. And what like, does it what, represent? No, what I'm saying, like what I'm trying to get to say, David, is like a lot of people are up in arms about how easy he has. But like the thing is, even though as a minority, I'm not even that upset about it because I'm like, I'm looking at it from like a why, point of... Minority status doesn't matter. Like, just no, fam. Understand why, why no, it works. No, 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 no I'm just no, saying, no. bruv, like the reason why a lot of people are mad is because they've been trying to raise money. They've been trying to get through the doors. They've been trying to get access to VCs, but nothing. And here you have Newman who has like this, tra- <coughs> this track record of like, this is who he is. You know, like the whole stigma around his personal brand isn't really like something people like. So the fact that he can raise 350 M's after like the whole WeWork exit has a lot of people up in arms. That's what I'm asking I'm trying, you. To, I'm trying to come up with an analogy here. Well, like, hold on, hold on. The, the social aspect of yeah. what he's trying to do. But the social aspect doesn't matter. Because so, you're asking me, why did Anderson Horowitz give him money? Yeah. Well, like, what's, the, I, what's the question for me? Because no, well, every, everything you're saying is true. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, why do you think, like, what's your, what are your thoughts on, like, people being upset that he's raising that money? Do you think they should be people upset? Should, sure, be upset, but it, I don't think it matters. Why does it matter? Because like people will be upset, and what does them being upset change? Like, but does that they represents like they're not really? I get what you're getting, saying. They're, they're, not, they're not getting like the open doors. Like Adam can easily just come back and raise 250 m's with like what happened but, but, with WeWork, I, though. Yeah, but but that's what I'm getting at. Though is like I think the, I think what people think happened with WeWork, if you're Anderson Horowitz, is not how they see what happened with WeWork. Mm-hmm. So the the best thing that I read about this. Uh, that probably changed my mind a lot. But the best thing that I read about this was as a venture capital company, you're, you're basically looking for home runs. You don't care about base hits. So the reason why a lot of people can't access venture capital, and I think we focus way too much on venture capital when we talk about entrepreneurship. So let me just get out of the way. Venture capital is a singular asset class with a very specific return profile and very specific criteria to meet. And if I was a venture capitalist... The only reason I wouldn't invest in Adam Newman, the only reason, it's not because I don't think he's going to return me more money. It's because, like, I don't like what he did. So I wouldn't give him money because I don't like what he did. Mm -hmm. But you also want to know what I know I'm doing? 
I'm probably losing out on returns. Because the likely scenario, the odds are that that billion-dollar valuation will become five. And $380 million or whatever they put in will become a billion. Or was that 1.5? The likely scenario is that Anderson Horowitz turns th- turns three hundred and eighty million dollars into probably seven hundred or eight hundred million dollars, even if he screws it up. So, the the challenge for people when it comes to looking at money, and this is why I said like people view money as a status symbol, and it isn't. Mm-hmm. Money is a system. It buys status symbols, but in and of itself, money is not. A status symbol. Mm-hmm. Sure, people will provide you a status because you have it, but money is a system, and money is a syst- and money is managed by different people, and they manage the money in different ways. Mm. You want to know my most frustrating thing right now? What's that? Have you seen these black business loan programs coming out from the banks? <laughs> oh my god, I hate them shits. So I don't hate them because I actually find that I've, I've talked to two of them. And what I really actually like about it is I actually feel like I've been able to have conversation with bankers who are able to look at the good and the bad. And they're willing to help me and they want to help me because they, they will, they're, they're going to take more time with me mm-hmm. to help me get into a place. And they're going to have honest conversations with me. And they're going to tell me how I can get to where I want to get to and how they can help and how they can't help. Really? So I've had a good experience with them from the standpoint of the bankers. Okay. The bankers that I've spoken to, um, shout out to RBC and BMO. One of the things I've learned from people who raise money is don't just talk to one bank. Talk to every bank. If you haven't had a conversation with every bank about your banking needs, you probably should. I still need to call TD and like all that stuff. But I've I basically like I've inquired about the BMO black business program because they've marketed a lot. And I currently bank with RBC. The, the interesting thing about those programs do you think they give you a better interest rate? No. Do they think they look for less collateral? Nope. What is the thing that the black business loan program is willing to do for entrepreneurs? Let me, let me, do you know what it is? Cause I, I can tell, tell you. Tell me. They'll sure. give you less money than they normally would. They're willing to write smaller checks for black <laughs> entrepreneurs for their smaller businesses. Wow. Wow. Well, so look, man, like we're not going to say that race isn't a problem. We're not going to say privilege doesn't exist because all these things are true. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that we're spending as much time as people spend on them. I think learn the game, learn the system. And regardless of your skin color, if you know the game, you know the system. Look, sometimes, sometimes somebody's just going to tell me that I'm a well-spoken dude. And sometimes I know that they think I'm well-spoken. And sometimes I know that I think that they expected me not to be. I just saw a tweet about this yesterday. You know so, Jermaine Jupiter, the the job father, the black guy who gets everybody job, black, the guy who gets black people jobs in tech. Yeah, he I had a tweet that. the other day. He's just like the amount of times I get told, like, "Wow, you speak so eloquently." Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've gotten that so many times, right? Like they For expect sure. me like be like speaking in. I don't know Toronto how to. Man. Yeah, Whatever. you know what? It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just. The the, chal- the challenge, I think, and I, the other thing that I'll say, too, is, like, the interesting thing about, like, you know, melanin is, like, oh, you got a beard. But, like, I don't look 34. Yeah, you look no. like you're I don't look like I've been doing this for 10 years, 15 years. Yeah, you look like you just... But if up. you look at, you know, some of my white friends, they look like they're 45 and might be 30. Yeah. Um, and they got... They, they look... Like, like, I'm not going to sit around and say that they don't look... Like, they... To me, some of them look older and look 
more experience. They got gray in their beard, whatever the case may be. You know, I'm trying to grow in these little bit of gray hairs that I'm getting on the side so I can show people some age. Really? Not actually, but it's, I'm joking, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that there's a lot of, like, my sister is, my sister works for the government, um, and now she's in a pretty good position, but, like, my family looks young. Like, my sister got carded, my sister, my sister's my half-sister, she's, like, 50-something. My sister got carded in Atlanta, and they wouldn't sell her booze. At 50? In 2020. Black don't cry. Right? So... There's there's lots of types of prejudice. There's lots of types of stuff. I think I think when people talk about privilege, like the main thing you got to talk about when it comes to privilege is inherited wealth. Mm-hmm. You got to look at like assets. You got to look at um, network opportunities. Biases. Biases. But the biases, I think I think there are so many different biases all over the place. Whether it's gender, race, height. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Height's, height's, height's an interesting one. Height's very interesting. Show me two six foot three white dudes with an idea, and I'll show you something that's going to get funded. <laughs> <laughs> like blonde hair, blue eyes. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. They, they be... may not even be white. Well, you just said white, bro. No, they might be like you know, they might be, they might be, they might just look white. Even with women too, though, they might just present. Yeah, I white. noticed that in Height. upper management, a lot of times it's tall women, pretty women. Mm-hmm. Pretty not not so much. So here, so, so tall though, like a they, lot they of have tall like masculine women. energy. Maybe I wouldn't go that far. I don't go that far. But, really? but yeah. come on, fam. No, I don't. Yeah. No, what I what I what I would say though is that height is an advantage. There are lots of advantages. There's lots of pattern matching. There's lots of prejudice in the world. There's prejudice in all kinds of communities. Um, you know, like lighter skin, light skin privilege. I mean, you're a light skin man, bro. Did you get privilege? Probably. In what in what way? Based on my skin color. Mm-hmm. Ironically, the only time that I can think of ever feeling special mm-hmm. as like a black person with light skin and like wavy hair was when I was in the Bahamas and my friend's grandmother was obsessed with me and it was a black lady. Mm-hmm. The only time that I can ever I can ever like look, I'm I'm I am we we can I can, we can list my privileges. I've I'm lucky. I you know my dad my dad had a good job. My my mom passed away, but up until then my mom ran her own business. I grew up in a four bedroom house. I've never had to worry about where my next meal was coming from. I never you had to, to work. University, dude, yeah. I've never had to work two part time jobs. You know, I've never. There's so many things that I haven't had to do. So like yeah, like am I sitting here? Am, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm not very fortunate. Um, you know, very few people. I think aren't fortunate in some way. Mm-hmm. I was reading an art. I was reading about this guy. I'd love to look him up and you should probably go talk to him. Cause he's actually working at, um, I don't know if they're private equity or, or something, but he wrote a medium post about, um, about his journey and his mom, I think his mom moved here. I don't actually think that she moved here legally. Mm-hmm. I think this, I'm pretty sure this is in the article. It's a medium article. I'll send it to you afterwards. Um, and he was talking about how he grew up with like love Mm. and he grew up with support Mm. and he grew up with, I don't know how to put, he grew up, he grew up with the love and the support of his mother. He grew up in a spot where there was, uh, space for him to feel supported 
and he talks about how that impacted his career. Now he's probably making bank, working at a at a fund. Um, but his, his mom immigrated from the West Indies. Read this story, loved it, because I think one of the things that I've talked to that, that I talk to people a lot about is like I think, and, and this is not privately, so this is probably the first one I'm saying publicly, but like we put privilege in such a narrow spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we don't talk we don't talk about emotional privilege. We don't talk about emotional safety. We don't talk about you know. There's lots of ways in which um, a lack of financial privilege leads to a lack of emotional privilege, leads to a lack of emotional stability, mm-hmm. and it's a compounding issue. And it needs to be addressed. And as a society, we need to work on it. And I'm 100 percent there. But we don't talk about like. We don't talk about the person who was raised really, really well and is super anxious about never having enough and that is never happy with what they have. But man, like those, like in terms of like a societal... This guy's talk- mad because I'm on a hustle podcast talking about freedom and well, love I'm and not, stuff. I'm not mad, bro. I'm just saying like we're not going to focus on those type of things because Why? when you look at... Man, because when you, when you dissect it amongst every racial group like yeah. Indian, Chinese, black, white... There's certain groups that like, like bypass everyone, and they have like um, access to everything because of just their background. Like this is like financial, living in the best neighborhoods, getting the best jobs, things that are more economically driven than more looking like. Yeah, he had like better economic, like uh, emotional privilege. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, but I'm just trying to get a job to feed my family, and the reason you got hired, even though I have better qualifications, is because you are from this background. That is why we talk about that type of privilege. And I'm not saying that privilege of what you're talking about doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter in inner workings of friend circles. Like, I can be like, you know what? We live in the same neighborhood, but you had both parents. Your parents? Whatever. I might not have, like, my pops around, but the privilege you had of like having your dad around is like, yo, he could take you to practice. But you're going to practice, you became maybe, good maybe, at maybe maybe hockey. maybe or your dad was was not a nice guy. Look, I think we're off topic. Let me let me let me pull it back to this new. Well, I'm just stuff. trying to show yeah. you like what what you're trying to say like with privilege though. No, I don't think I th- I think what you what you're missing is that what I'm trying to say is that economic privilege is very real mm-hmm. and it's generational. But mental privilege and the ability to like See yourself a certain way. Self-awareness. No, but seeing yourself a certain way, man. I talk about like, when I talk about like, I don't know if I said this before when we were chatting, but it takes you 10 years to get to where you want to go. And I think a lot of people aren't thinking big enough. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest privilege is thinking big enough. I look at a lot of, I look at a lot of friends of mine from like, got a friend who's Iraqi from Iraq. Parents moved here. Um, didn't come here with much, mm-hmm. but they came from a place where they had a lot. Mm-hmm. They, they had stuff. They knew how to build it back. You know what I mean? So I think that, like, you know, access to education about how wealth is created is severely underfunded. Mm-hmm. Um, they teach you how to do calculus, but they don't teach you how to do your taxes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that we can talk about in terms of, like, privilege. Like, I think one of the biggest privileges, one of the biggest privileges that I've seen for people who are born into wealth is their parents understand how to manage tax advantages. Mm-hmm. Not avoidance necessarily, but advantages. Financial literacy. Yeah, literacy. And that's what I'm getting at. Like when you think about money as a status symbol, like you're already kind of behind the ball because money is a system and it's a product and you you pay for it. And you leverage it. And you leverage it and you use it and you access it. Yeah. So that's all I'm getting at is like, I think that like 
yeah, you know, there's definitely privilege. I think that um, there's definitely um, inherent bias. There's definitely explicit bias. Gotcha. Um, I think there's definitely like, I mean, you know, there's definitely a greater sense of imposter syndrome mm-hmm. when you walk into a room and nobody looks like you. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. A bigger challenge is this. You guys want to get, like, the wealthiest people in the world, what do we know about them? They're mostly engineers at this point. Elon Musk, engineer. Zuck, engineer. Bezos was a finance guy, but thinks like an engineer and, like, might be a little bit on the spectrum. You know? Gates, engineer. All white guys. Who are the wealthy black guys we know? Um, Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry, Byron Allen. LeBron. A lot of them come from entertainment. What do they all have in common? Entertainment, right? Athletics, so, uh, yeah, entertainment. Oh, yeah, entertainment. But like you, you, you throw athletes in entertainment. But yeah, yeah. All, all it's all athletics and entertainment, right? So, why do you think the first thing I tried to do is music? Because mm. who did I have to look up to? It's like who are my idols? Puffy, Jay. No, Puffy and Russell Simmons. Russell Simmons actually is like, and that's not something that I can say now because homie has done some. Bad stuff, but Russell Simmons, when I was in university, I was like, that guy has money. Mm -hmm. He's built, he built, uh, he he built not only Def Jam, but Def Comedy Jam. They had their own movie lines. They had clothing lines. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, say we will about the person, you know, obviously I think that a lot of stuff over the last 30 years, we've seen people get called on taking advantage of their privilege, which he did. But if you look at what we have to aspire to, that looks like us. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I was even saying Russell because he's light skinned, mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to looking at Jay and seeing Jay Dark or skin. looking at, or, you know, looking at whoever, right? And he was behind the scenes. Russell didn't have to be cool. You know what I mean? Like, Russell Simmons was never, like, Puff Daddy's cool. Like, you want to go to Puffy's party in Miami. Like, Puffy's, like, the man. Rock Nation brunch, everything. You know, like, Russ could identify who was going to be that. Mm-hmm. So, there I, there I was, trying to throw parties, because that's what Russ did. He threw parties, and then he signed artists, and then he built an entertainment company. Mm-hmm. So, I think, like, part of it is, like, we got to get, get more ideas into our heads around what success can look like. We also got to get an understanding of when we are successful, like, look, like I think there's small business, there's middle sized business and there's massive business. Mm -hmm. And I don't think all entrepreneurs want to build all of those things. Mm -hmm. And they all come with pros and cons. Most definitely. Like, do you want to have to make a decision to lay off 20% of your workforce? Like your Shopify, like, do you, do you feel like you can do that? Or do you want to build a business where you pay all your staff really well and where all of them come to work enjoying themselves and you do better than you would have if you got a job. Zappos. No, not even Zappos. Zappos is a big business. I'm talking about like the, you talk about someone building, like if you want to build a barbershop, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I wanted to open a barbershop, mm-hmm. if I wanted to open that business that I took pride in, build a local community around it, you know, barbershop is a great example. Don't have to go build the app, man. But if you, if you want to access venture capital, Specifically, you got to be trying to build. You got to be building towards billions. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, But there's a lot. If you want to talk about how to get money, 
Um, the best way is from customers. Of course. Um, sometimes it's selling something that you don't really have, mm -hmm. but you know you can accomplish. Well, let's take a step back. Yeah. I want to focus on your business, Promise Supply. Sure. Um, how are you acquiring customers right now? A little bit of secret sauce in terms of exactly what we're doing on digital. Um, there's a few things that I've found that have really, really good unit economics online that don't require a lot of cash, and we're, like, going hard on that. But I would say that our best customers touch online and in-store. And our highest, like, the, the customers that spend the most money with us mm -hmm. call us. Call you? Yeah. Interesting. So we, uh, we use open phone. What's that? Open phone, Toronto-based startup, just raised 50 million bucks or something like that. Tech company. They basically made Twilio really easy for everybody. Twilio is like the API for phone numbers. But yeah, so we use, we use that. We let our customers text us, call us. We text them photos of what they're actually going to receive. Um, hmm, that's a big gem. Yeah, you know, so we... What's we, it called? Phone what? Uh, open phone. Open phone. Open phone's great. Shout out open phone. So the customers will text you. Yeah, customers, like, on our website, if you fill out the form and you put your number in, it starts a text message thread with us. Mm, and then you can see it through, like, a web, web app. Type web app, phone mm -hmm. app. Whole team has it on their phone. We got mm -hmm. two extra phones for the team. We acquire... We, 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 we focus... So, like, last year, we tried to acquire a lot of people, you know. How were you doing that? Um, Google Ads was probably our best from ROI. Mm -hmm. Facebook allowed us to reach and build the brand. We found products that other companies in our market weren't selling. We sell a commodity, right? So it's like selling tomatoes, right? So either you got to go find like an heirloom tomato that other people don't have, but like, like you're still wine, it feels like that's really like selling tomatoes. Really, there's not there's no really there's not really a brand on it. A lot of it is being grown in Florida, shipped to Canada, gotcha. distributed through different people. The main points of differentiation are going to be customer experience mm -hmm. um, and strategy. Um, so we believe in two things. You mentioned Zappos. Zappos is our North Star for customer service. So we do a lot of stuff people probably wouldn't do. And do you ship Canada-wide? No. Like, what's your delivery process like? We fulfill locally in Toronto. We've managed to use, uh, so local delivery is sort of becoming like a new battleground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, DoorDash has a cool API. We haven't we looked at that. We ended up going with a thing called Trexity. It's been pretty easy. They they kind we 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 you know put together a route. They pick up stuff. They deliver it. We charge a bit more for delivery than you would think about with e-commerce. Like it's twenty bucks flat rate. How much? How much is the average order of a product? Pardon? How much is the average order for product? AOV's around a hundred. Oh, uh, all right. So then it's not as bad then. Well, it's more than twenty bucks. Like a lot of a lot of people are used to being online and getting free shipping. Mm. But um, I think when you compare us to some of our competitors, you'll realize that our plants are priced more reasonably, even though we charge more for shipping. Have you tried Flashbox? What's Flashbox? Flashbox is you know we partnered with them before. Um, they do like nine dollars shipping all across GTA. I think I looked at them. I can't remember. So the thing for us is it needs to go from customer directly to consumer. And it can't go to a warehouse in between. We're talking about like a five foot tree. Mm -hmm. So like the service that we're using works well for us because we can put a five foot tree in the front seat. Um, it's a bit more expensive. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it works right now. Emma, who's been probably the best thing to happen to the business over the past year in terms of her growth as an employee, likes it. And I'm just not going to change stuff unless she wants to change it. Because, <laughs> like, she, I, I haven't looked at a delivery. I haven't looked at a delivery unless there's a problem. And I think the only I've only looked at one delivery in the last two months. Mm-hmm. And then we also do our own delivery. So we have a lot of, uh, like, we sell, like, you know, we sell a 10-foot tall tree. We deliver that. We have our own sprinter. Um, so we'll take stuff to people. So you created your own logistics program. Yeah, I mean, we started off, we started off doing all of our own delivery. We kind of outsourced it in a way that didn't really work. Using something that allows us to bundle deliveries, not offering same day, but bundling deliveries and getting them out a little bit more frequently has helped get fresher product to people faster. We've made the decision not to ship plants because I just genuinely believe that if you really want a snake plant, there's one close to you and I don't need to send it to you in the mail. That's what I was about to ask you. Like, like, the logistics of sending plants to people must be tough. That's like like people who ship plants. There's businesses who do it in the states. It's pretty like in the states. It's being done really well. Here, I would say that you know, there's definitely companies doing it. They're probably doing well. I don't know. I have a hard time like think about somebody who buys plants. Do they care about the environment? Yeah. Right. So why do we charge twenty bucks for delivery? Well, because you could take transit or bike or come pick it up. Why do we deliver stuff? Well, because if a bunch of people had to drive down to get it, that's going to burn a lot of CO2. So we figure if we can put together routes that go directly to a consumer and we can put multiple people on the same route, we're probably putting less CO2 into the atmosphere than having on everybody come down route. and driving it down. So what? Is it like a, like a drop-off spot? We do, no, like, like we'll... Like if you think about... We have 10 people from across the GTA coming to pick up their plants to drive them home. Uh-huh. If we deliver those plants to them... Um, that route is more efficient and burns less CO2 than each individual driving in and back separately. Ah, uh, gotcha. So it'll be like one major drop. Yeah. So we so. do, we do almost like all of our big deliveries go out on Wednesday gotcha. and then depending on the volume of orders, we might deliver small orders two to three times a week. That's a big gem. A lot of people don't do that. You know, when they, they'll, they'll like pack it up and try to figure it out. Mm. So having like a drop days, I think it's like, yeah. So everything big is always Wednesdays mm. unless you're, unless you're dealing with George who's you know, responsible for people who want to get different kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. He'll go deliver some of that stuff because it's just a good relationship. So what's been some of the challenges of, like, biggest challenges that you faced having a plant um, business? Pl- a plant business, uh, it's, a, it's a different learning curve. You got to learn how to keep your product alive. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have, like, a greenhouse or something? No. We, uh, we do everything in the shop. We uh, we originally started off with buying grow lights off Amazon mm-hmm. to to kit out the whole shop. We tried to open a second store in Yorkville, didn't work, lost some money, but through perseverance, we're able to figure it out. Actually, started consulting again, yeah. <laughs> generating revenue from consulting mm-hmm. to offset the losses in the business at the time. So so back to the kind of the how you keep the plants alive. So we ended up building, we ended up basically finding a supplier in China and starting ordering to order them directly. Mm-hmm. We brought in extras for consumers. Now we use them sort of to unlock sales where people may want to put a plant somewhere that they can't so we can offer the light with it. Mm-hmm. We haven't really tried to turn it into its own product yet. Haven't I don't think the market opportunity is the right size. Um, now, I actually thought it was a huge opportunity. Now I don't think it's a huge opportunity. But you'll notice that, you know, 
if you've heard me, something seems like an opportunity, I investigate, I found it's not, I pull back, and I, I go back to the core of what's generating revenue. So in previous instances, if the core is consulting revenues, mm-hmm. right, then that's the core of what's generating positive cash flow that I'm going to consult, and then I get to work on my stuff half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the, the hardest thing about this business is learning how to keep your inventory alive. And that's also led to us thinking about the business differently. I think we do some stuff differently than some of our competitors, which is still secret sauce. I'm not trying to be coy, but there's stuff I just don't want to talk about because like where we're trying to go, because you asked me early on, like, hey, you seem like you're really happy with this smaller thing. And it's like, the truth is, yeah, I'm really happy with the smaller thing, but I see a lot of opportunities for it to be a bigger thing. And I'm trying to get down the path of turning it into a bigger thing. So can you talk about like revenue numbers since like starting it no. in uh... Revenue, not really. How big is your team? Got four employees, including myself full-time, one guy part-time. One guy's going to go get a sales job, and I'm really proud of him. He's going to go try to make more money um, in sales and build more of a career. He, you know, and, and again, I think I'm just like really happy because I genuinely told him to do that. I was like, look, man, you got a job here, but you have a lot of potential. I feel like... I can only like I feel, I'm I'm I think I'm a good person to work with. I, I think everybody who works for me would say the same thing. But um, I think he has the potential to make two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year as a salesperson, and he's not going to build the foundation towards that career if he wants it. Working with me for the next year, and he's probably better off to get another job. So that's where he's off to, mm-hmm. and try to get another job. If he doesn't get this job that he's currently lined up for, I'm probably going to be posting on LinkedIn. Anybody looking for a really good salesperson who can train them. Hit me up. Mm-hmm. I'll send you his resume. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that's the thing too. Like, you want. I think you know. Actually, Duncan. So lots of things have happened. One of the harder things was I had a business partner. When we were really focused on trying to build, we we were actually trying to build. We work for retail. We work for retail. Shared retail. So instead of spending, you know, if you work with direct to consumer companies or hustle over everything wants to sell tees, you could instead of spending five hundred bucks a month on Facebook ads, you could spend five hundred bucks a month on retail space in the high foot traffic area. That was our original concept. Um, that's what Duncan joined me to help with and all this kind of stuff. Um, that was probably one of the harder things. He didn't end up... Was, was, was that part of like volume retail that you launched? Yeah. He, didn't, he did not end up falling in love with plants the way that I did. Mm-hmm. And he got another opportunity to do something else. And we're still good. But that was hard. Mm. But like, dude, to, to do this thing and think it's going to be easy there's a reason why it's hard to get money from people there's a reason why it's hard to get venture capital and i think when we talk about privilege the one thing we need to talk about is not whiteness it's attitude mm-hmm. and the the attitude that comes there's an attitude that comes with being white where like you've never faced discrimination nobody's ever told you you can't be what you want to be in a way, society hasn't shown, society shows like a version of yourself that is doing well. When you go meet with these people, they look like you. They sound like you. They like skiing. I don't ski. I'd be a great salesperson in, in, in Canada. I just hate talking about hockey. Mm-hmm. Right? So that stuff matters. Gosh, yeah. Like if I can bro down, if I could bro down about the Leafs, I'd probably be doing better. Mm-hmm. So there's, there, there are, there are, there is privilege definitely in it. And I think that part of that privilege is seeing people who look like yourself on the other side of the table. And I do think that that needs to change. And I do think that will change. And I am 
absolutely an advocate for that. But yeah, I really just think like the reason why it is hard to get money to start a business is because if you're right, you'll find a way. If it's the right thing and you maintain, and this is why I keep talking about the psychology stuff that Owen thinks is maybe uh, no, man, honestly, less, less interesting bro, than the hustle. Honestly, <laughs> out of like both of us, I can honestly say that I like the psychology stuff. I talk more about it. Yeah. You know, like Al is more the technical guy. Yeah. I'm more of like the spiritual no, but, philosophical. But, 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 but yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying like if it's, if it's too hard to be, if it's too hard to start your business, you probably don't want to start it because it's only going to be harder once you start it. Mm. starting it is the easiest part of running a business easiest part. so if it's hard it's hard yes i'm not saying it's easy and i'm not saying that you know if you're born into if you, if you have a parent who's an entrepreneur you're better off than if you don't you know i think that's actually like probably the greatest advantage mm -hmm. if entrepreneurship is the focus yep dude i am disadvantaged <laughs> i'm i'm grossly disadvantaged i'm I'm the I'm the opposite of privilege. If having a parent who's an entrepreneur, my family just has always wanted me to be a professional. Mm. West Indian families are like that. David, I'll, I'll ask you something, bro. Yeah. Uh, were you trying to ask something about that? Or? No, I was going to make a statement. Most most Caribbean families are like that. Or Pretty most in, immigrant families are like that. Mm -hmm. You want to be a professional. Exactly. It's safer, right? It's, safer. it's like they, you can take care of them when you're like when they're old and everything. Exactly. Yeah, but you can't. You, but like you might not be able to because you might get fired. So I think that's the thing is like having if you have if you if you have family that that have run their own business and that know how to run yeah, their own business it. That's mm -hmm. a huge advantage and mm -hmm. I think that like on average mm -hmm. There's a there's probably more older white people who own businesses mm -hmm. Than not and therefore that privilege of feeling like you can do it is passed down Yeah, and also like, you know having the parent who has their own business who can walk you through how to have yours mm -hmm. um you know, but there's ethnic groups that I don't think would consider themselves white, like Jewish people. Mm -hmm. They don't consider themselves white necessarily, and they've definitely had challenges as a culture and a community. But they they understand the game, mm -hmm. and they can play it really well. And that's and that's I think where like you know, what I keep getting at is like, look, if you want to blow up the system, that's one thing. But you got to understand this capital, mm -hmm. this debt, this equity, different types of it. Mm -hmm. Why you want it? Why you don't? Mm -hmm. So yo, so um, working towards wrapping up, bro. Like, um, one oh, last thing I want to ask you: um, You've been in a relationship for a long time. Yeah, like five years. Five years. How do you manage being an entrepreneur and also like maintaining like a a solid relationship from what it looks like? Mm, it's hard. It's it's hard. Yeah. What are some things that have helped you, like, you know, go through those ups and downs? I think my girlfriend's grandfather is like the most interesting man in the world, and he, his health isn't so great right now. But when I first started dating her. And I could have good conversations with him and ask him questions. Um, Greek guy, immigrant, came with nothing. Um, has built, has built something over his lifetime that any person should be proud of. I think that that helps because she gets it a bit. She gets it. She's seen it. You know, mm -hmm. she's seen what it can do. I also think the best thing about being in a partnership. And, and I think a relationship needs to be a partnership is that two people can be different people mm. in the way that they try to make money. Mm. And if you're thinking about relationships as a partnership and you're trying to build something together and usually like my, my sister actually said the best thing to me ever is that you're building a culture. 
Okay. Like, you know, they talk about culture in terms of like a company culture. Mm -hmm. Like you're building a culture. My sister said that to me. Like, that's fucking brilliant. I don't know why, but like, so you're building a culture. You're building, like, you're building your little, it's, a, it's, it's not a business, but it's a company. It's a company of people that you're going to keep for the rest of your life. And yeah, you like, you know, you're, you're trying to integrate different people, different perspectives, mm -hmm. but you also get the biggest benefit. And the biggest benefit that I think of my relationship is her strengths. She has strengths that I don't have. She's good at stuff that I'm not good at. She thinks in ways that I don't think. Mm -hmm. She will perform really well in jobs that I would perform really poorly in. And on the other end, you know, I can say I encourage her to try to, to, get, to get into an industry that she might not have thought. She, she was kind of like, you know, her, her, she works for a company that does M&A. Mm. Um, she came from kind of consumer marketing. And she was recruited and was like, take the mini. This sounds like a good idea. She actually, it's funny, she actually tried to be like, hey, I think you should go talk to this recruiter. I think this would be like an interesting job for you. Um, I was like, no, you should take this. I feel like this would, like, I feel like you'd be really good at this. And even if you're not, like, just be a different experience. And she's been there for maybe three or four years now. She loves it. She's done really well. People at the company think really highly of her. Yeah, this is probably the most uncomfortable question out of them all. But, like, it's hard to put that personal stuff out there. I might need to... I need to run some of that by her, but I, you can probably take part of this. I'm just kind of speaking openly. Like I would, I like she cares more about what I say than I care. So I like we need to talk about that afterwards. Mm -hmm. But I do think that like the biggest thing that I've learned being in a relationship for the past five years with somebody who is super intelligent, super thoughtful. Um, yeah, like she just treats, she treats people really well. She always remembers to call people. She mm -hmm. treats her friends really well. She treats her family really well. Mm -hmm. Like she reminds me to con, she reminds me to wish my friends happy birthday, dude. You know what I mean? Like she's, she she's reminds me to say thank you. She, yeah. You know, like you need people that are going to make you better. And I think she makes me better. And like, that's all it comes down to, right? Like if you're going to be in a relationship, like don't be in a relationship because of reasons that fade. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the relationship will not always be solid. Like, everything. no, it'll always be a relationship will be solid, but the relationship won't always be exciting. What, what like, you, like long term relationships, like, you think about, like, imagine having kids with some, like, we're young still, like, none of us have kids. Like, basketball practices and all this kind of stuff. You gotta take your kids to practice. Dodge you caravan, gotta, you, know, you gotta, gotta care about whatever. You know? Like, I, I just think that, like, at the end of the day, you gotta be with somebody that, you feel like you make each other better. You feel like you you feel like they make up for where for areas where you would fall short. Mm -hmm. You feel like they push you to be better, and they kind of give you the ability to be better. Is she a Raptors fan, like you? Yeah, she's a big Raptors fan. Um, she's also Greek, so she loves Yanni Antetokounmpo. Her whole family is obsessed. Um, but yeah, like she uh, she's a huge Raptors fan. She used to go to games with her dad and scream her head off. Um, I mean, the, is she like a Raptors fan like me? I, I probably think I know more than I know is the way that the type of Raptors fan that I am. Is like, you got to mold your girl to love the team you support. You know what I'm saying? Ah, uh, but you, I, I actually, so I actually think that I think it. I think it's very hard to mold people both ways. You can mold children. Like if if I if we, if we have a kid, you can influence your kids. Yeah, yeah. You, you like yo in this household, you're supporting the Raps. Like. <laughs> Until maybe they they're eighteen or like in their high school. Like, I don't you know, know, man. I don't dad, know, man. I like, I like you, know what, you know what? You know what? You know what, man. I I live in a weird generational gap. Mm -hmm. 
My dad's old. I'm from a second marriage. My sister's older. I have a niece who's going to university now. Jeez. Can't mold shit. <laughs> you have no control. All you can do is influence. And, you know, influence, influence, influence. Mm -hmm. Try to be a good example. If you can't be the best example, try to show them the best example. Yeah. If they, if, you know, if some, if, look, if, if I have a kid, I always joke, right? Like, you always think about like, oh man, that kid's dad built an amazing business and now he gets to go take it over. Yeah. Mm. What if his dream was to be a doctor or a lawyer, but he didn't have West Indian parents <laughs> trying to pressure him into it and he was pressured into taking over the family business, you know? You've seen Succession? Yeah, but like, they, they want the business though. Yeah, that's true. They're greedy. A man like Kendall, bro. You've seen Succession, right? Well, I, I saw, I got the premise of it. I'm like, oh, this is just another Hamlet. Another like... Hamlet? No. Wow, you're Hamlet. educated, huh? Hmm? You got education. I, I wouldn't have even known that. It's like Hamlet. I don't know anything about Hamlet. So. No, not Hamlet, but um, it's like it's, a, it's the same the theme that happens in yeah. like Empire. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's the same mm. thing where the father wants to give down. So the re so the reason the reason I actually like that show is because of all of the conflict around the board of directors specifically. Got you. So there's like there's certain shows like that and like billions. Mm. Yeah. Where like there's the drama, there's the noise, there's the there's the cokehead son of the rich dad who can't figure it out, who always feels inferior. There's all there's all the tropes all of the storylines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's some really interesting stuff like the board meeting that Kendall has to be at where he needs to get a certain number of board votes to get his dad gone. And in that, that meeting, he's not scene. actually able to get back to the meeting on time because he was trying to get another vote. And because he wasn't there, a lot of people who are with him started squirming. Yeah. And you could see how at the highest level. So you, you, when you have a big business, you have a board of directors, you have 20 different people that all theoretically can fire the CEO, you start to see the weight that a CEO can have, the weight that somebody who is determined can have, whether good or bad or right or wrong. Mm -hmm. But you can start to see how these things actually end up playing out at mm -hmm. scales that, you know, you know, if I'm lucky, maybe one day I'll get to have to deal with a board of directors trying to get rid of me as CEO. That's pretty bomb. If I'm bro. lucky. That's the thing, dude. Like I was talking to my other I was talking to people like I think if you're lucky, you have to solve really hard problems. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky, you have to deal with really difficult situations as an entrepreneur. That's all. Like just if you're lucky, you get to, if you're lucky, you, you get you have the and I think coming back to privilege, you have the privilege of solving hard problems if you build a really big business mm -hmm. or if you build a really good business or if you build a business period. You you you're you're fortunate to get to figure out that problem because other people don't get to figure out that problem. Most people never learn how to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you could keep it under a minute, <laughs> what is partnership look like to you in, in the relationship? What, like, wait, you know? Which relationship? Romantic or otherwise? Yeah, you know, romantic. What is partnership? Because a lot of people say that, yeah, relationship's a partnership, but break that I, I down real quick. I disagree with that, man. But I'll let you take. You disagree with a relationship being a partnership? Yes. What is it? If I'm if I if I'm married, like you're my wife. You guys don't listen to Andrew Tate too much. Bro, that. before even Andrew Tate, I always had this. I'm a very traditional guy, bro. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So like when and I you'll meet a very traditional girl. Exactly. You'll have a very traditional relationship. Hundred percent. That's that's I know that. So I, let so, okay. So, so so let me tell you why it's a partnership, and let me tell you about my family. My grandmother had a job. My grandmother was was a very bright woman who was an accountant who invested in real estate who built stuff. My mother ran her own business, and my mother was a chemistry 
uh, master's, had a chemistry master's degree, and she had occupational, um, was it occupational therapy? Anyway, my mother used to basically do air quality testing at plants, ran her own business, had her own book of business, was on some board for like the Occupational Hygienist Association. My sister's the deputy CTO of Toronto, which means she manages half of the staff of the city of Toronto's um, engineering workforce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me about any woman ever belonging to me, dog. Don't tell me about it not being a partnership because the only thing that you're gonna stifle is what you could build together because of what they can do. That's all it is. Sorry, I went on a bit of a rant because I have a very strong opinion on this. Like, uh, and I, I can give you a. Uh, we can do that again in a way that's a little bit no, less no, like. No, I like that. I like. That but dude, like, good. you want to talk about like y- who I'm looking for? I'm not looking for a girl who wants to be a housewife. If I'm scanning the room and I'm looking around, am I looking for the girl who wants to just be a mom? Sure. Like you know, like look, my best friend's mom, super mom, homemaker. But you know what? She's also on the board of directors of her husband's company, and she contributes ideas. She's an intelligent businesswoman. She runs the household to the point of running a lot of the financial components, including some of the investments. That's what I'm talking about, right? But like, whenever I but feel that's a partnership. But it's just your business partner. It's no, we're not partners. Like we're married. Like you're my wife. I'm your husband. Like this whole westernized idea of like partnership in a, in like a. I just, I'm like, man, where did this whole thing come? Like, why we, you, like, okay, so you you say marriage, I say partnership. Let's let's. So, does your wife work? In my in my future relationship, yeah. she can decide to work. But you don't want her to have to. I will not force her to work, but I'm like saying, babe, like I'll take care of it. But if you want to go work, go do it. But I got us. Yeah. In our in in African culture, yeah, that's how. We run things. For sure. Like, your wife is there. You can have a maid, right? You can, like, yeah. they, your, your wife is a homemaker. She can, you don't want your wife doing, like, a lot of, like, heavy lifting or she needs to work. You want to empower your missus needs to be, to like. work is different. You want to empower her to be, like, you know, listen, babe, you know what? I don't want you to work. I, I'll take care of everything. But you know what? If you want to pursue this passion and start this business, go ahead, right? But there should never be, like, this blurred line of, like, we are partners because I'm like, man, my partners are Alex, right? But that's a different type of partnership. That's, you know, but like, why, why do we have to like use this terminology in a marriage? You know what I'm saying? So like, look, all right, fine. Your wife, but your wife is a person who ends up helping you build the culture in your home, who helps you figure out who supports you in like, look at uh, Bezos's wife. She worked at the company when it first got started. She's a very smart woman. You know, you know, my thing is, bro, it's more of like the idea of stripping what makes a woman like a woman and like her feminine self and making Work her feel like that. it doesn't do. But like just the nature of like, OK, this whole, you know, the feminist movement that started coming through. It's like now saying like, oh, like you're, women you're, have to do like everything that a guy does, or whatever. But like, you know, in actuality, like you're trying to get some virality on this podcast, aren't you? I'm not. It, <laughs> I usually do, but honestly, bro, I, I, I just see how look, I see it, right? Look, you know I what think, I'm saying, bro. Like, it's just like I want her to remain her feminine self, but for, still but, doing her own thing. Sure, but like that's my point is like, I just don't understand why the word like the word partner doesn't necessarily mean like we we have to equally contribute financially to the future of the group. Mm-hmm. But it does mean that, like, we have a plan together. Mm-hmm. 
She has input on that plan. I have input on that plan. We have mutual goals, mutual respect. It's partnership. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, yeah, sure. Like, is it a Westerner's idea to call it a partnership or do you just call it a marriage? You just call it a wife? Do you call it whatever? I don't know. I just think that there are, I disagree. What's kumbaya about a partnership? That's just harder, man. But bro, you know what? Coming, like, I get that, right? But how I grew up, sure, a lot of women, they did not give their opinion. And they were like, it's not like they they were not asked. They'll, they'll give their opinion, but it's not like, hey, you do what you got to do. You make the best decision for the family. Everybody was eating. Everyone was happy. The, the, the wife didn't complain. But they did not see it as a way like, oh, yeah, you're oppressing me by shutting me up. It's just like... The way I'm not talking, see look, it, I'm not talking about oppression or you know that, but, you're, but bro, that you want to shut people that, up or that I want to get people to speak up. But that's what you're I'm saying, just saying. Bro. I'm he saying wasn't that, that he was oppressing. Huh? No, he wasn't he, saying that he was. I'm not like, saying anybody is oppressed. Because I'm saying if you want to have a like, there are like, like look, that's a common thing in a lot of cultures, and like you know, the husband working, the wife staying at home, minding the home, the husband goes to work, they accept that, but that's a partnership if they both agree to it. Okay, 100% then, yeah, fine. But, yeah, like, I don't necessarily think that it needs to be one way or the other, but it's still a partnership. You both agree to it. Okay, so you don't have a problem if, like, a relationship governs like that. Because the Mm -hmm. sense I'm getting is, like, you want it to be, like, 50-50, like, partnership or whatever. And if it's the other way around, it seems like it's rubbing you the wrong way. What do you define as a partnership? But hang on, what what are you thinking about? What what is 50-50? I'm trying to understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. What do you define as a partnership? The thing about me, like, like it's like she, like, like I have to bring a dollar and she has to bring a dollar. That's not the way it works. I also gotta present my opinions and the way I feel about things from just the way I saw my parents growing up. For sure, right? So, like, when I speak, I'm referencing from like a culture that has successfully built marriages like this, where that we don't have to have our wives be working. We don't have to have them be like, oh, you're on the board or whatever. And we don't care if they are. But you didn't have to have, they didn't have to be on that either, but that's who they were. What do you mean that's who they were? Like, there's no difference between a man and a woman in terms of the things that they could potentially want to do in the world. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. So if that is equal, I think we can agree on that. There are women who will want to become homemakers, in theory. There can also be men who may want to become homemakers. Now, I I know that you don't like that. Men being homemakers? I know you don't like that, but that's okay. We can slide that. We don't need to focus on that one. But I'm just saying there are women who may want to become homemakers. Okay. And there are women who may want to become high-paid executives. Mm-hmm. And there's women who may be, want to become startup founders. And there's women who may want to own their own small business. Mm-hmm. There's women who want to do everything. Yeah. Whatever woman you choose, she's going to do what she wants to do. You're going to do what you want to do. But for you to do it together for 40 years, probably got to be a little bit on the same page. And she's got to have some input into like, yeah, babe, I'm I'm cool with with being quiet and, you know, minding the kids and minding minding the business of the home and you know, I really enjoy that. I, I I really just want to put all of my energy into my kids. And that's the most important thing to me as a mother is to like spend time with my kids and make sure that I give them 100% of a mother's love and attention. And I really need you to go make sure that there's enough money for me to do that. 
and we get on the same page about that, and we grow. Hundred percent. Still a partnership. Okay. I I just think perhaps for me, I just don't like partnership because the word partnership. I hate that word partnership in a relationship. And just like yeah, uh, maybe, maybe maybe it's, it's a partnership is just a form of understanding. Literally, a marriage is a is a literal partnership. It's a it's a contract that you sign. It's a little, yeah, it's a, yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> you know, it's a contract that you sign to say that like We're we are together. we are working together on this life thing that and and through sickness and in health and all of these other things. So, you want to talk about partnership agreements? Like, I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people get married. And they don't think about it like they're signing over. Like, if you're about to start a business with somebody. It's a marriage. But if you're about to start a business with somebody, you should take just as much thought when you're starting that marriage as if you were starting that business with somebody. Because what you're ultimately doing is you're tying yourselves together for the next 40 years. Yeah, I, I get I get that. I get the partnership. It's a partnership. Romantically, I just don't like associating that word with a romantic relationship. That's it. But we can choose how we want to govern our relationship. But we're not talking, but we're, we, but we also, but we're, we're also not saying anything differently. You got to make decisions together about what you want your futures to be All together. Right. You got to decide on how you want to build the culture of your family. You got to figure out how there, how's there going to be enough money on the table, whether that's you're not working and I'm working because we both agree to that. We're both working because we want more. Or you really, you really want to work and I really don't. So we're going to figure that out too. I've seen all of the above. Um, and I think the only thing that I strongly believe is that like it is very hard to have a relationship of equals i think it's very hard to have a relationship of equals and i think all i'm saying is like you want to have a relationship where both people are on the same page and working towards the same goals whatever they are got you because in a non-partnership basically like you come home like all right moving to chicago that's a non-partnership because yeah. then the person doesn't have any say of what's going on but in a partnership yeah. Yeah. In a partnership, you'd be like, hey, I know you're working at home for now as I make the money. This is an opportunity on the table for me to move to Chicago yeah. for a pay increase. Let's talk about that. Is this the right move for the kids? And they both have that discussion. Yeah. And, and and I'm saying I'll never not do that. I'll never. Yeah, like, so that's a, you're going to be a partnership. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they have equal, like, whether you call it a partnership or you call it a romantic relationship, yeah. all I am saying is that, like, the thing that is hard about all relationships, I'm sure you guys have this as business partners. You know, one of you wants to do X, one of the other wants to do Y, and you got to kind of like figure out what the right part of it is, and mm -hmm. you got to go back and forth, and you know, it's easy to call it a partner with your with that, but like, you know, there's other things too. Like, think about it. Like, you know, all right, we want to have kids. Well, one of the things that I said when you're building a business is you're building equity. You might not necessarily, and look, I'll be candid. Like, I'm not making as much money as I've made in the past on my personal pocketbook compared to when I was charging hourly for consulting. But our top line revenue is probably five times higher than I've ever had it when I was charging for consulting revenue. Mm -hmm. But my costs are higher. My opportunity is also larger. It's also far more scalable. I've already proven that we can employ people. I've already proven that we can grow people. I've already proven that we can grow year over year while reducing our costs from our first year. So I think I'm building a business. I've, I've, I've raised a, a very small check from somebody that if you were to call that the valuation, great. On paper, I'm looking great. But like the reality is I still got to do work. Um, so I think it's like, yeah, like you guys are right. Like, yes, yeah, so like maybe that partnership is like the, one of the challenges is like, well, you go, like, why aren't you just making 120K a year? Because you could. 
I've done it multiple times over on that run rate in terms of consulting and other things. So I don't know. Like, look, at the end of the day, it's like whoever you're going to live with for the rest of your life is going to have say on what you do. And if they don't have say on what you do, you're probably in a toxic relationship. 100%. And if you can't listen to them and they can't listen to you, maybe you make it and you're both angry, bitter humans by the time you get to your deathbed, but you probably don't make it. And you probably cause a lot of other psychic damage to those around you. Yeah. So you just got to be able to get somewhere with someone. 100%. You got to run all of this relationship shit by me because I got to run it by her. <laughs> like, seriously, for real. Same. <laughs> huh? I said same. You got a girl? I guess I do. That being said, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up the podcast. The house is what you can't control. So control your grind and control your life. Thanks, I'm Alex. I'm Owen Osinde. I'm David. I probably went on many tangents. Appreciate yep, you for listening. The plant poppy, bruv. My guy. That's the show, y'all. Take care. Peace. Peace Have a great week, everyone.